the study of theology is the study of the word or the idea or the concept or the logic of God himself. Took me four years to read the Bible. I reckon I understand a great deal of it. Wasn't what I expected in some places. So I'm sad that we're not on the same page eschatologically. I wish Sam Storms and I were on the same page. So you believe in these kind of things? Let's just say I want to believe. Well, I know where he was converted. He was converted on the toilet. That, I, I like that one. We're you gonna would. To, you could say he was saying I was in the dumps, whatever. Just, well, which stall what? was he in? First John, second John, no, 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 third no, no, John. Wait, wait, wait. Let's let be careful here. He had bowel problems. He struggled with constipation. The argument among certain psychologists, he finally experienced relief with constipation. And in that moment of relief and deliverance, he suddenly... I wasn't getting that graphic. <laughs> he suddenly, you know, had this breakthrough discovery. And all of his fetid guilt, he released. Hello. All right, we're back. We're getting our Simper Reformanda on. Does that sound good to you? Yeah. No. Okay. Always reforming. So, we're talking oh, don't about Luther. show off, yeah. Michael. <laughs> That's He's, Latin, I didn't say it in Latin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you translated. <laughs> He's an educated man. Now I really hate him. <laughs> All right. So. Where are we? We left off last time with uh, Martin Luther having reached a, um, a point at which he was about to break. And uh, the, the, the grace of God, as he studied, taught, meditated on Romans chapter 1, verse 16, 17, 18, right in there, he was awakened to the reality that the righteousness of God was a good thing, not uh, a fearful thing, but it was the provision of God himself in grace uh, through Christ, giving a righteousness that we don't deserve uh, simply uh, when we cry out for mercy, when we call out to him in trust and confident hope. So this was about, as best that scholars know, maybe a year or less prior to his uh, nailing the 95 Theses to the church door at Wittenberg. So the question we want to address now is, why did Martin Luther do that? What was going on that promote, provoked this man to, to take... By the way, it was not a, a revolutionary act. It was a normal thing. Mm -hmm. For people in that day to post uh, an, an announcement it's like you'd walk into a church today and there'd be a poster on the wall saying hey we're going to have a discussion next saturday morning at 10 on this topic come and join us so he was basically just asking for uh, an open dialogue on the subject of indulgences so what led up to that the immediate yeah. you know like the immediate context. the immediate provoking cause well, what did you say the date was that his conversion probably late 1516 early 1517 well so i mean we're talking just months yeah, yes it's fresh yeah. i mean, I, th I think part of i mean a, a huge thing that's leading up to this is a construction project is a, <laughs> is that they're building a billion dollar church building and uh, and they're looking for a way to pay for it and what's funny is is protestants we slam it all the time but then we we pay a ton of money to go and see it <laughs> which is <laughs> yeah i mean rome was having their own capital fund campaign yeah, yeah. Uh, st peter's basilica pope julius the second and leo the tenth well wait, trying wait, wait, to wait, rebuild st peter's basilica push pause on that because that's that's important but i do want to ask you guys this Can about we push Martin play Luke. on it no no not yet okay um 
about his character. Okay, he, he here he is, and let, let's put ourselves uh, him in modern day, and let's say, okay, just months before this event, you have just really come to know Christ. You have just really been saved, and now let's get you on the discipleship process because you're a new believer. You're really young. You're immature in the faith. Let's not let you get out and do too much stuff because you know it. it you you got to be really trained in this. But here's Martin Luther, and he's coming off this this incredible transition, this incredible discovery. And in his mind, going from such a dire straits where he's just out of his mind, scared, to one where he's out of his mind, joyful. And and now he's moving back into that same environment. And here he is, a young Christian, if you, if you will. 34 years old. 34 years old. And he's getting ready to do one of the biggest things. I mean, and number one, think how fearful this is going to be because this is going to come up if, if we continue on this topic that his 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 movement into this, it's not like one of great confidence where he says, I'm going to take on everybody. But it is a great, I mean, it's this thing where he does this timid or, or usual nailing of the 95 thesis that turns into something so much more than he could possibly ever imagine. And here's this new weight that God has placed on this young believer's 34-year-old yeah. shoulders. I don't, I don't yeah. think he felt that at the time, though. I think he's just a guy that, you know, I mean, think of somebody that, like, gets engaged to be married, and they tell everybody they know. Yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 you know, and they're not even thinking, like, uh-huh. you have any idea how big of a deal this, you know, 30 years from now, you're going to look back, and why didn't you have more trepidation telling people you're getting ready to get married because yeah. of all this? But it's just like, I think he... That quite, what must I do to be saved? And he's lived his whole life with a long list of stuff. And now believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And that doesn't just save you, but the righteous live by faith. Mm-hmm. So that continually sets you free. And I think, I mean, the way I see Luther maybe is just he's so free that he does not consider. I mean, he's just a guy that's like, everybody will want this. You know, I mean, this is something that the church is going to quickly, I mean, if we just start talking about this, I'm sure everybody will be on board with what I'm feeling in my life. You know. Now, let's be clear. There was nothing in the 95 Theses that reflected this glorious conversion experience that Luther had had. In other words, he doesn't come into this, you don't find in the 95 Theses um, an explanation of what we call the biblical gospel, salvation yeah. by grace alone, yeah. through faith alone, Christ alone. Um, although Luther believed that, that wasn't the purpose for his protest. And in fact, it wasn't even to protest indulgences. Luther mm-hmm. believed in purgatory at this time. Uh, he still prayed to Mary. Uh, he still considered himself a faithful Catholic, but he had witnessed something that he was that so highly offended him with regard to uh, the practice of indulgences, that that's what stirred him to do this. And that basically was just kind of got the snowball rolling. And then we can go into later what happened that kind of flushed out Luther's uh, convictions concerning sola fide or by faith alone, his convictions concerning the the ultimate and final authority of scripture above that of popes and councils. Mm. So here's this building project. Mm -hmm. And... A unique thing, again, providential, if if you could say it. I mean, you look at St. Peter's today, and you don't really think of Reformation. You don't think of providential. But because of this, this is what makes Luther angry. And and let's face it, uh, at this time, there is a development in the idea of indulgences. 
right? It, and really in the practice of indulgences, because whenever we're talking about what, and we, I don't know if we've introduced him yet, but uh, uh, Tetzel uh, brings out and the way he does it, it's not necessarily the, the norm in the Catholic Church or the way that they're sending people out to do this. Yeah. Well, these, these popes basically commissioned the sale of what they called plenary indulgences. So basically, an indulgence, for those of, who may have missed our first two episodes, is simply amnesty or remission of punishment in purgatory. Um, and oftentimes it came with a document signed and sealed by the, the, the papacy in Rome, which said that for because you do good works, because you serve the poor, because you make a trip to Rome, because you observe relics and, and bow down and kiss them, but in this case, because you made a financial contribution to the rebuilding of St. Peter's Church, uh, we will reduce the time that you have to spend in purgatory uh, suffering for the outstanding debt you owe because of the of the temporal punishment of your sin. Mm. You, you go to purgatory, you're, you're guaranteed of getting into heaven. Yeah. But this is a halfway house where you have to make final payment. Um, and um, sure enough, it went to an extreme, this your hero, Michael, your alter ego, John Tetzel. John Tetzel. Well, right. if people ever wonder what would uh, provoke a guy like Luther, what would really set him off, you know, make him go home and write all these pointed things, I think people could just imagine how they feel when they turn on the TV. And I, I, in fact, I heard already how, how one of you feels, because you said earlier, if I think I'm getting this right, I would like to take him out back. Oh, oh anyway, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> And when you turn on the TV and you see certain huckster preachers right. yeah. and, and they're manipulating people, they're fleecing people. Selling divine blessings for yeah. a price. Does yeah. that irritate you? Oh, yes. Well, and yeah. I say, yes, it irritates that people would have the gall to do that. But then if you actually know the people who are being taken advantage of yeah. and you know how much it is costing like them. they're in your flock. Yeah, they're in your flock. They do not have the money. They're barely getting by. Uh, then some salesman or thief comes by and says, hey, God will really love you if you empty your bank account, give it to me, and I'll make sure you get to heaven quickly. And Luther, you, know, you just don't mess with a German that's just been set free. You know? <laughs> and, and by the way, let, let's make sure they understand. Tetzel was a monk sent by Rome, commissioned to to basically do everything you can to raise as much money for this building project as possible. He knew about Luther. He stayed out of his territory. He he, he ministered, ministered, quote unquote, yeah. italicized. He's ministering. He's ministering on the outskirts of Luther's Across the river. Uh, parish. Yeah. And Luther gets word of what's going on. Um, and if people are wondering, well, what did Tetzel do that's so bad? Um, well, he was very crude, very mercenary in his approach. Here are some of the things. Here's one excerpt from a sermon. These aren't from Sam's sermon. No, 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 no. This is, <laughs> this is an excerpt from Tetzel. Quote, Indulgence are the most precious and the most noble of God's gifts. Come, and I will give you letters, all properly sealed, by which even the sins that you intend to commit may be pardoned. But more than this, indulgences avail not only for the living but for the dead. Priest, noble, merchant, wife, youth, maiden, do you not hear your parents and your other friends who are dead, who cry from the bottom of the abyss? We are suffering horrible torments. A trifling alms would deliver us. You can give it and you will not. Hmm. And I mean, that 
Oh, here's my money, John. Get my parents, my grandparents out of purgatory for Move over, sake. Robert Tilton. Yeah. Well, you go, you go, and and one of you said ministering. By the way, that was Clint. That just, <laughs> I don't know what he's going to give his ride. That was Clint who made that little jab in case uh, lawsuits are forthcoming. Well, you, you've got John Tetzel, who is who is the. I mean, his character is just it's bubbly too. I mean, it's just it's kind of like Luther, just on the other side. But you look at him, and you said he was ministering. I I, I think of uh, Tetzel, and I wonder. What 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 was in it for him? I mean, because as he's going, he is extending this idea of indulgences, and he's and he's going even outside the norms, and maybe even outside the approval of the institutionalized church of the day. Whenever he's offering these plenary indulgences for sins that you have not yet committed, and for people that are already in purgatory, and uh, things such as that. And and what in his mindset? I mean, he he's not making any money from these indulgences that I know of. I think he gets in the good graces of the papacy. Yeah, he comes back to Rome with a substantial bag full of silver and gold coins, and he's the he's the man of the year. He's a hero. He's like top salesman. You know, it's like copies for closers. You know, they're probably they're probably not asking him like. You know, hey, how did you? What did you say? Like, what was your message? You know, Uh, they they're just counting the money. You know, and that's a. and Luther's people, even though it's not in Luther's area, Luther's people find a way to get there, though, too. You know, so Luther does have people who are recognizing, like, hey, this is a great opportunity to get my mom out of purgatory quickly. I know she's suffering, so I'm going to give money I don't have to, to make that happen. And I think Luther has some very intriguing uh things that he just feels like is inconsistent with the with these indulgences you know and uh and i think uh i'll read one of them uh, so he nails these 95 theses uh, to the wittenberg uh, door uh, church door and this one is great i think this is in the 80s or so it says why does not the pope liberate everyone from purgatory for the sake of love a most holy thing and because of the supreme necessity of their souls this would be morally the best of all reasons. Meanwhile, he redeem he the hope the pope redeems innumerable souls for money, a most perishable thing with which to build St. Peter's church, a very minor purpose. And I think it's just great that's like, you know, Luther's like if I buy into this and if the pope really has the power to expedite someone's time in purgatory, why does he need money? Right. And let's be clear again about the 95 Theses, because I think a lot of people misunderstand. Uh, they don't condemn indulgences, but rather the abuse and the, mm-hmm. and the granting of them uh, for a price. They imply belief in purgatory. He doesn't denounce the Pope except in those kinds of like yeah. kind of backhanded ways. He, they're silent about faith and justification. That's something mm-hmm. that was to come later. Um, they were republished in his collected works in 1545, and Luther wrote something commenting on his state of mind, and this is what he said. Hmm. He said, I allow them to stand, that by them it may appear how weak I was, and in what a fluctuating state of mind when I began this business. I was then, that is in 1517, I was then a monk and a mad papist. In other words, he was still supportive of the Pope. And so submerged in the dogmas of the Pope that I would have readily murdered any person who denied obedience to the Pope. Mm. So Luther looks back and he says, I, I was a really good Roman Catholic at the time. And it was only the events set in motion by the 95 Theses that, as I said earlier, kind of brought to the surface and stirred Luther to begin art, to articulate 
those doctrines that we typically associate with the Reformation. So whenever he says, why doesn't the Pope do this? He's not necessarily looking at the Pope and saying, hey, why don't you do this? He's saying, if this is true, what these people are teaching. I hear a little bit of almost skepticism even in that. It's similar to the way that when you look at a guy, when people see a guy like Benny Hinn, he, he blows on people and they're healed. And what do they say? They say, you know, if you have this, why aren't you at the hospital? There's something commonsensical where it, it, it sort of leads you back to a skepticism about the claim itself. Okay? Can you really have this power anyway? I mean, I don't know. I always assumed that he, you know, we probably read too much latter Protestantism into him right in the moment. Mm-hmm. I tend to do that. And we tend to forget how slow a process this was. But but the fact that he's still a mad papist, as he said, which is now one of my favorite terms, <laughs> right? Mad papist. But can I mention also that one of my favorite parts of all this extravaganza, circus-like atmosphere that I think did a lot to bring people out, and that is relics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we talk about some relics yeah. a little bit, like what they were, yeah, what, why people came to see them, yeah. right? Yeah, it, it's in, relics. Uh, if people don't know what, we're not talking about antiques. <laughs> well, in a sense, we <laughs> Antique are. Antique roadshows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, part of the kind of the... Uh, system within Roman Catholicism was that that the saints in particular, holy people, when they died, that the grace of God that was present within them remained in their body parts, in their, uh, in the, even in the decomposing um, constitution of their physical frame. So, for example, uh, people would collect, um, you know, plucks of hair from the beard of Abraham or milk from Mary's breast or straw from the manger in which Jesus was born. Uh, there were some rather grotesque uh, parts to this as well that we won't mention on air. Thank you. <laughs> but um, for example, Michael Wood, <laughs> Frederick the Wise, who, who was Luther's prince, he was the mm-hmm. political ruler in that area. Owned one. Of, it's, it's almost like I'm reading owned one of the largest baseball card collections yeah. in the ancient world. He had 19,000 pieces, individual relics, that were worth more than 1,900,000 days indulgence. And, but he was, he was nothing compared to Cardinal Albrecht. Now, now is that 1 million days in purgatory? Days One, out, getting out of purgatory. Yeah, yeah getting yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. Cardinal Albrecht, his relic collection was worth 39,245,120 days. Mm. And of course, the question is, how do you how do you determine that? Yeah. Well, I guess the, the 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 greater the saint, and the more pieces from his or her body or their life that you have, and I guess you just arbitrarily assign. Well, that's worth a hundred years out of purgatory, mm-hmm. and so people would travel, and if they would contribute to uh, the preservation of these relics, or they would bow in the presence of them, or they would kiss them or touch them. This was a way of gaining an indulgence and reducing time for yourself and others in purgatory. And you think of how this would bring out villagers. I mean, you you would wake up early and be uh, very excited if this was coming to your town to get to go see these things. And yeah. you you know, and you and you know, you're believing that all this is true. Now that plank came off Noah's ark. You know, I mean, you name it, right? And somebody yeah. had it, claiming claiming this and. You know, again, it goes back to the analogy we could make to our day and the, the, the absurd televangelists and their claims. Note that they always offer, you know, some kind of physical trinkets. Yeah. They always have cloths and seeds and water and, 
It's like there's this well, is part of the playbook for for hucksters. And at like this, this time, the supposedly, and this isn't an out, this isn't necessarily an exaggeration. There were enough splinters of wood from the cross on which Jesus was crucified to populate a forest. <laughs> I mean, it was they were just ev- everywhere. Mm-hmm. No way to authenticate these. No fact checkers. The, the true cross. Yes. Yeah. So, so Luther does this, and again, this goes back to our very first session. People need to know this. If it had not been for Johann Gutenberg in 1444, yeah, yeah. I think about he invented the internet. Yeah, um, who had uh, who had invented uh, movable press and the opportunity for Luther's writings and the 95 theses themselves to be reproduced and distributed among the people, it might have just fallen flat. It might have Mm. gone nowhere. Mm. But in God's providence, um, the opportunity was Luther began to write these pamphlets, and within 12 months to 18 months after 1517, Luther's theology was being spread all over Germany. It went viral. It did. In Latin, but then also in German as well, which is unusual that this conversation would so quickly get into German-speaking hands. Because it was originally written in Latin, which was Mm -hmm. not the language of the people. It wasn't necessarily for that, that... it was for debate. It was for yeah. other L- scholars such a, as himself. A, Luther basically sent a private Facebook message that other people posted publicly. Mm-hmm. So what Thank then you. happened, you. a couple of debates took place, and these are so important to understand. The first one was in October of 1518. So a year later, he debates uh, Cardinal Cajetan, and a very significant debate. But the one that I've always looked at as being the most important was the Leipzig debate. In 1519, Luther debated um, John Eck, who was the leading Roman Catholic apologist at that time. And what happened was, uh, in the midst of their dialogue, Eck forced Luther into a corner Mm -hmm. because Luther basically was challenging the authority and the infallibility of the Pope and and of church councils. And Eck accused him of being a follower of John Huss, who'd been burned at the stake a century before. It's interesting, Luther took a break, and he actually went to the local library, and he got out the the material that he could read about Eck and the grounds on which he was uh, condemned. You mean Huss? I'm sorry, Huss. And Wycliffe too, right? Oh, especially Huss. Yeah, maybe Wycliffe, but especially Huss. Came back the next day, and he said, yeah, basically I agree with Huss. He said, we're all Hussites. And... um, (laughs) And that led to um, um, to this incredible declaration by Luther, where he said, "He said, um, I prefer, with all deference to the fathers and the Pope, the authority of Scripture." And that was the decisive move that just kind of opened up the dam and the waters flowed. Because once the Bible became the final arbiter for religious truth, and not the Pope or Church councils, um, everything was fair game. Yeah. He dropped a sola bomb on him. Yeah. yeah, and you can notice the theology of Luther is still in development here. It's not as if, again, it, he just explodes with all this stuff, but it's through these debates and it's through these trials. And really, I mean, through his, you know, you know going to these, going to these, uh, um, having these uh, debates with people, he's, he's thinking to himself, are, are they right? I, I mean, am I going this far? And he sees himself, okay, I am. Okay, I am a Hussite. And suddenly, this is where you see him, and see he can see himself as distinct from the Roman Catholic Church, the institutionalized church of the day, and starting to see himself as a reformer, mm-hmm. starting to see himself for the first time as 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 you, you got to understand people. Luther 
uh, uh, even later on, and the reformers later on, did not see themselves as breaking away from the church, right. but reforming it, restoring it. If you, could, you know, it's, it's not as if you have a timeline, and I've seen these timelines so often where you have the church and it goes down a straight line, and then all of a sudden you get a breakaway, and the Protestant movement breaks away from the church. That's not the way they would have seen it. They would have seen it as as slowly the institutionalized church breaking away from the but true church. But this process, like these trials, and think about this. He's going back. This is like visiting. It's almost forensic. You go back and look. He What's he learning? He goes back and sees what? Oh, this guy Huss. Hey, he was right on the money. Oh, and they, they tricked him into a council, and they burned him. The church is looking worse and worse the closer he looks into this, and it seems to me like the enmity starts to build. I mean, he may start sort of like a friendly reformer, but ultimately he's going to get to the point where he's calling the Pope some pretty nasty name, yeah. right? Whore of Babylon. But, but I don't think he's there right No, no, right but yet, I'm saying though. this rift is only going to widen. The more he doubles down on something like Sola Scriptura, it seems like the ship is just going to sail away. Now, are, away, we, are away. we trying to close up on this broadcast where we're, we close up the Luther, you know? Well, we, we probably ought to come right up to the Diet of Worms. Mm. Yeah, yeah, um, so yeah. So real quickly, by the because, way, because here, that, here's a little interesting historical note for people kind of say, I'm trying to remember, when did he live? Um, when the year that Luther had this debate with John Eck at Leipzig is the year that Leonardo da Vinci died. So mm. there you go, you got a little bit of trivia. Yeah. Um, so Luther publishes three pamphlets on the Babylonian captivity of the church, on the freedom of the Christian man, and uh, addressed to the German nobility. He begins to flesh out his theology a little bit. And what really happens is he starts looking at the history of Catholicism, his own church, and he begins to see errors, uh, theological errors, ethical errors in councils, in papal decrees. So finally, um, in June of 1520, Luther is excommunicated. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you, I love the, I love the Latin, the exerge domine. It's a rise up, O Lord. It was the bull of... <laughs> The bull of excommunication. And you think, that's an appropriate term. Yeah. Well, that just meant a decree. <laughs> yeah. And um, the, the, the Pope excommunicates him. Luther has a bonfire, literally. I mean, this really happened. Um, on December 10th, 1520, there in, in Wittenberg, they have a bonfire. And he takes the document that excommunicates him, and they throw it into the fire. And, um, and basically, <laughs> supposedly Luther said these words, quote, as thou, speaking of the Pope, as thou hast vexed the Holy One of the Lord, may the eternal fire vex thee. Oh, snap. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> needless to say, yeah. bad news. So Luther was called before the Diet of Worms in 1521, um, in which he appeared before uh, the Emperor, Charles V. He's only 19 years old at the time. And this is, of course, someone want to take it from there when Luther made his famous Here I Stand Affirmation. Now, are we going to talk about the Here I Stand affirmation? Maybe we need to pick it up at the next We can leave, leave everybody lingering. It's a big deal. It's a big yeah. deal. And I think it's a big deal. I mean, you know, every every movement that happens in that. I mean, what will happen? It, we it don't know. It is like the, the, the Nelly and the 90s. So much so, it's a big deal that a lot of people would say this is yeah. the beginning of the reformation. Yes, yeah. you're right, Michael. A lot of people, historians say, no, the 1517... That was, that was a minor act. It might have set in motion what happens, but the decisive break was Luther at Worms. So maybe we ought to bring this back up in our next So should we just skip? I mean, 
throw away all these podcasts and just pick this up in fifteen or in twenty twenty one? Should have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. W- w- one of the things that's interesting though too is that uh, two thousand people met him outside that building when he showed up. So recognizing like this is not a little thing happening outside uh, the mainstream of you know things have gotten out now and when Lu- he showed up Luther, to the diet yeah Luther is, is famous like Luther it's is a trial now, of the century and now yeah it's the trial of the century maybe bigger than that and uh, and it's the question of is this guy I think the probably what you'd expect is that Luther will not make it out of this thing alive yeah and as we'll see it's a big deal because the emperor. Yeah, and let's be right. clear. This, this, just to kind of whet the appetite of our listeners. The bottom line issue is, to what will Martin Luther submit and bind his conscience? Is it to a pope? Is it to a church? Is it to a council? Or is it to the inspired Word of God? Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying Theology Unplugged, let me tell you about some of the other resources we have available. Visit us online at credohouse.org and browse over 2,000 articles on everything from the Crusades to gay marriage. Sign up for email updates and get the latest news, event announcements, and special deals before anyone else. Connect with us on social media. Just search Credo House on Twitter and Facebook. And you can always email us at theologyunplugged at credohouse.org. We want you to be part of the Credo community. Please partner with us in making theology accessible and pushing back the intellectual attack on Christianity. Thank you.